So as they're uh, making their way, and I'm going to remind you, uh, a lot of you got distracted with the election and stuff. And, and, you know, we have these commitment cards that we do for our giving for next year. And some of you have not turned these in. Uh, they're in the back of the seat racks, and there's some out at the welcome desk, and the ushers can find you one if you need one. Uh, but it's important for us to have these. This is the backbone of all that we do here, and uh, forms the, this is what uh, you know, powers up and enables us to be in ministry. So if you've not done, uh, filled out your commitment for next year, I'm um, just going to encourage you to do so. This is the, uh, the first Sunday of Advent as we begin uh, the, this season, and I always like to kind of help people kind of orient themselves to where they are. This is the first Sunday of the church year, the church calendar. Uh, the church calendar was put in place as a teaching instrument because, remember, for the first several hundreds of years of the church's lives, um, they didn't have printed books, uh, Bibles that they had access to. A lot of them couldn't read. And so they had to find ways to teach the Jesus story over and over and help people live into it. Uh, the stained glass windows in all the great churches of Europe is one way. Uh, the calendar uh, of the year was another way they did it. So they started every year uh, with Advent being the first Sunday of the church year. And, uh, and the word Advent, uh, Advenir, to come, uh, is, is the time when we are both expecting and re, uh, celebrating the coming of Christ and the birth of Christ, but also looking toward the uh, end of ages when Christ returns. And so this is the celebration. Uh, this four weeks is when we are preparing for that, uh, the season of Advent. It, it culminates in, in Christ Mass, Christmas, uh, the celebration of the birth of Christ. And that's followed by the season of Epi, uh, Epiphany, which comes from Epiphanos in Greek, uh, to shine light on something or, or to reveal something, the season when Christ is revealed to be the divine Son of God, the Messiah. That leads us into Lent, which is from an old English word, Lincoln, uh, meaning the days are getting longer. Uh, you know, not everything is theological in the church. Uh, and so, you know, it's, uh, the name comes from that. But it's the season in which we are preparing ourselves to go with Christ to Jerusalem and to the crucifixion. Uh, that's followed by Easter, uh, the celebration of the resurrection, and that name's actually borrowed from a, from a, a Roman uh, holiday. Uh, and, and then that's followed by 50 days to the day of Pentecost, which means the count of 50. And, uh, and Pentecost is uh, when we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, the beginning of the church's ministry. And at the end of that, sometime like in August usually, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly when that date falls, uh, we move into uh, the rest of the year, which used to be called Kingdom Time, but now carries that, that heavy, heavy uh, name of Ordinary Time. Because uh, again, not everything in the church is theological. And that runs through uh, until the very end of the church year, which was last Sunday, which is Christ the King Sunday. So the idea is through the calendar, you start with the, the prophecies and the looking forward to the birth of Christ and the return of Christ. You walk through the whole story of his birth, his ministry, uh, his crucifixion, the resurrection, uh, the ministry of the early church. And having told that whole story through the church year, at the end of the church year, uh, we come and we declare that Christ is indeed the king of our lives. And then we start all over again. And we do it year after year after year as a way of, of reminding ourselves what the Jesus story is and, and asking how we're allowing that to be lived out in our lives. So we come to this Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, and it's the beginning of the church year. And we are looking forward to the birth of Christ. Now the technical term for that is incarnation. And you saw it in the uh, name for the prelude that Giovanni played for you. Uh, the incarnation, uh, uh, God becoming uh, incarnate, and uh, just for you know, kind of you know, help you if you're not familiar with the terminology to keep it really simple, because I'm from Texas. Uh, think about chili con carne, right? Which is chili with 
meet, right? So the incarnation is the in-meeting or the in-fleshing of God. It's God taking on human form and flesh, uh, and that's in the birth of Christ. And so that's what we are preparing ourselves for, this uh, impossible reality that took place. And, uh, and we begin this Sunday, we're going to talk the series, uh, Down to Earth Love. And if you didn't catch it, you know, down to earth, you know, God from heaven comes down to earth and is born in Christ. Uh, so uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. But today's down to earth love, next week is humility, and uh, in two, three weeks we hit obedience. And in between, we have a wonderful weekend when we get to hear the cantata, and you just got a, a, a taste, a foretaste of, of some of the music uh, that's going to be coming from that. So, uh, so as we begin, um, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we come on this first Sunday of Advent. We thank you for the sun that's outside today and the warmth. Uh, we thank you for your presence with us, and we ask that you open our minds and our spirits and our hearts to the amazing thing that you have done and that we are preparing to celebrate again in the birth of Christ. Uh, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, this series, a lot of this series is going to be based out of uh, Philippians 2 and uh, Paul's uh, second chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And this is a church that Paul loves dearly. I mean, he, he, these are people he's very fond of. Uh, so you need to kind of remember that as we're reading through this. Uh, also, part of the words uh, that we're going to get to uh, in a week or so uh, come from an ancient, ancient hymn of the early church. And so when we get to that part of this section of Philippians 2, uh, you're going to be hearing some of the oldest words of the church's liturgy. Because remember, they were already in use and being used widely at the time that Paul wrote this letter. So people were already familiar with them. So these are these, some of the language you're going to be hearing coming up now is some of the oldest language uh, of the church's life as Paul writes it. Uh, you'll hear a little bit toward the, uh, we'll really be getting into that next week. But he begins the second chapter. <clears throat> he says, if then there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, now, you know, when you write a letter, you're usually writing to a specific group of people with something in mind. I mean, you're not just like sitting up in your ivory tower imagining things. Uh, you're thinking about those folks in that community or that individual, and you're writing in response to what's going on in their life. Correct? And this is what it is. And so when you read Paul's letters, you can always kind of behind them uh, see the picture of the community that he's writing to. And, and if you read through this letter and, and you begin to see that picture, uh, you may find that it's not all that different from who we are uh, because technology changes, but people really don't change that much. Uh, and so he writes to the letter and he says, if then, if then, there is any encouragement in Christ. You hear it's a question, right? He, he, he's saying, listen, you know, it, 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 if there is any encouragement, if there's any consolation, if there's any sharing, any compassion and sympathy, if there is, then make my joy complete and be of that mind. Share that together. But you hear that he opens it with a question. Uh, I mean, he's, he's kind of coming at him a little bit, you know. I mean, he's kind of saying to him, uh, you know, really, if, if there's any encouragement among you or any consolation, I mean, he, he's not saying there is. He's raising the question among them because apparently there was some dissension in the body uh, and so he he raises that up and and as he speaks through this he's going to be using the plural uh, personal uh, kind of pronoun as he talks to them which we in texas would say y'all and if you were really talking about everybody you'd probably say all y'all i know it's redundant but nonetheless that's what we do right 
And he's going, listen, all y'all, I mean, if there's, in the midst of you, if there's any, any encouragement or consolation, if there's any compassion and sympathy, and he's raising the question, he's saying, you know, really, is there? You know, then, then make my joy full. Make my joy complete. And have that mind among you. I mean, he's, he's encouraging them to live into this because Paul understands the, the reality of the messiness we, of us. Uh, you know, I keep saying ideas are really neat and clean and simple. People are really messy. And so it's really easy to theo- do theology kind of up here in the, in the ivory tower. But when we begin to live it out, it gets really complex and complicated. And, and, and we bump into each other. Uh, and, and we have tension with each other. You know, people are just messy. That's just who it is. I mean, you just think about, you know, who your family is. Don't you have some interesting people in your family, some messy people in your family? You know, one of my mother's relatives was named Cooter. I always thought that was a nickname until he died. I saw his obituary. No, his name was C-O-O-D-E-R, Cooter. Who named him that? Right? I mean, this is, but this is, this is who we are. We're messy and we're com- complicated. Um, you know, we, we go through the holidays, and uh, I don't know about you, but most of us have these, these pictures in our head about what the holidays are supposed to look like. You know, this is what the ideal Thanksgiving looks like, or this is what the ideal Christmas is. You have that. How many of those have ever come true in your life? Right? I mean, there's always somebody in there that fouls that up, right? You know, one of our family's favorite stories is the Goose Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, we were going to Alvin, Texas, where my aunt and uncle lived, and we were going to have Thanksgiving over there. And, and my uncle, who was a, uh, a rice farmer and a, and a sportsman, uh, wanted us to have goose for Thanksgiving. Now, he'd taken my cousin and I out several times goose hunting out in the rice fields that he uh, was, had at that time. And, uh, you know, it was never successful because, you know, you get two whiny little boys and you lay them on the ground with a, 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 a tarp over them for, you know, concealment. And it's really cold. I don't know if you've ever done it. It's really cold. It's cold as I've ever been. And I'm sure that we were whiny and loud. And so the geese were probably going, not going near that. But, but the other thing is, you know, we were, we were little. And, and so when you handed us a 12-gauge shotgun, well, you know, who knows where it was going to go, right? I mean, right? I mean, when that thing went off, you know, neither one of us could aim worth a hoot because it just kicked us so hard. So, so, you know, we went out a couple of times and were totally ineffective. Uh, but he managed, going on his own, to get a goose. And he was really proud that he had that goose. And we were going to have the goose for Thanksgiving because he'd always wanted to do that. And so we all get to Alvin and we come to this big table to have dinner. And, and we sit down and there's this roasted goose sitting there. And, and, and my sister looks at it and she says, I'm not eating that. What is that? That's not a turkey. And my uncle says, no, it's not a turkey. It's a goose. And she goes, oh, my, you killed a goose? Oh, that's awful. And then it was on, right? So then I got my, my sister and my uncle, and then my aunt weighs in, and then my grandmother gets involved in it, and then my cousin gets involved, and, and my mother's in the middle of it, and there's this, all this going on. And the next thing I know, all of the women are stomping out of the dining room, and I'm going, what happened? This is kind of the story of my life, incidentally. You know, things happen, and I'm kind of going, I, uh, uh, what? But, you know, uh, what? what? Uh, and they're all stomping off, and they're all mad at each other and going off, and the, there's yelling and hollering and crying going on all throughout the house. And so I'm sitting at the table with my cousin, my boy cousin, sitting next to me, and my uncle and my dad sitting there, and we're kind of looking at each other like, what just happened? And finally my uncle says, well, no sense letting it get cold. 
So we started to eat. And about halfway through the first plate, right, all of the women came back in and looked at us. What are you doing? Uh, we're eating. You couldn't wait for us? I mean, it was like, I don't know what to say. You know, so we had a very quiet Thanksgiving meal. Lots of tension in the room, lots of stress. And later that afternoon, all of us guys were sent out to the barn to watch the football game on TV out in the cold because we were banished from the house, right? Because people are messy. It's just who we are. Now, on, on that day, it really wasn't very funny. Later on, we all laughed about it. And we had many other Thanksgivings together after that because we're family and we love each other. But people are messy. This is who we are. It's the reality of what we live with, which is that, you know, when we're in our families, they can be our greatest blessing and they can be our greatest curse, but they're still our family, right? And this is who we are. This is what we hold to. So when Paul writes to the church in Galatia, who was struggling with some issues, this is the way he described it. Now you've arrived at your destination. By faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. Your baptism in Christ was not just washing you up for a fresh start. It also involved dressing you in an adult faith wardrobe, Christ's life, the fulfillment of God's original promise. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, since you are Christ's family, then you are Abraham's famous descendant, heirs according to the covenant promises. You're all a family. You're all connected because you're all in relationship with Christ. It can get messy. People can stomp out of the dining room, but you still love one another and you're still connected because you're in relationship in this common relationship with Christ. You're not all one because you share the same last name. You're not all one because you're in the same organization. You're not all one because you're in this group or that group. You're all one because of your connection to Christ. And you're called to put on an adult faith wardrobe to model Christ's life, to live that way. And how often do we actually do that? I mean, when the world looks on us, is that what they see? Are they seeing us modeling the love of Christ uh, in the midst of the world? You know, we just came through this uh, wonderful election. Yeah, okay. And, 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 you know, we just had a wonderful time with that. And, and if you listen to the rhetoric, did you not notice that what happens is, oh, well, you disagree with me, so that means you are the spawn of Satan, right? Isn't that the way it works? And that's how it tends to work in our culture. But what we're called to do is to look upon each other as members of the family of Christ and to treat each other as members of the family of Christ. Not that we're all going to agree. We're not. But we deal with each other as part of this family because we are all connected with Christ. John Wesley would talk about this way in his sermon on Catholic spirit. He would say, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike. May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion. Without all doubt, we may. Herein, all the children of God may unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences. 
However, having said that, he also was really clear that there are some boundaries in there, right? A Catholic spirit is not an indifference to all congregations. This is another sort of latitudinarianism, no less observe and unscriptural than the former. Now that word latitudinarianism is not a word we use a lot anymore, is it? Mainly because it's, it's really hard to say. Just try saying that three times fast. Uh, but, but what it means is kind of a laissez-faire, you know, do whatever you want kind of attitude. Uh, and he's saying, no, you know, there, there are some appropriate boundaries to this. So, so my family gathers every year for a family reunion. And uh, <clears throat> a lot of times it's right on top of annual conference. So we, we only get there every so many years. But when I was growing up, we went on a regular basis down near Edna, Texas. And, uh, and it always, you know, people gather together and they start cooking on Friday night. Uh, and it kind of culminates with a big lunch, noontime meal. And everybody gathers and shares and, and enjoys seeing everybody and visiting and so forth. And, and, and as we did that when I was growing up, one of my mother's relatives uh, used to come who was rather fond of his beer. And, and, and the adults in the family all kind of knew this, and so they kind of shepherded him, right? You know, they kind of made sure that, you know, he was under control, except for one year. And one year, somehow or another, he escaped that control, and he got together with all of us kids and started giving us all beer. And by the time lunch came, we were all scuffed. Some of us were throwing up. And, 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 and so there was a little meeting of some of the adults, and, the, and they took him aside, and they said, you know what? Time out. Can't do that. It's not okay. Not allowed. Now, they didn't throw him out of the family, they weren't mean to him in any way, and, and he proceeded to celebrate many more reunions with us in the years to come before he finally died. But they, they, they drew the boundary, but they did it in love because he was still part of the family. And that's what we're called to, and that's what Wesley called us to, you know, to understand that in love, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have messiness, and we're going to have difference of opinion, and sometimes we're going to have to hold each other accountable, but we do it in love because we're still part of the family. Because when we forget that, when we forget that, we do something even worse, which is we become hypocritical and judgment, judgmental. You know, one day Jesus is at the temple with his disciples, and he points this out to him. He says, uh, look over there. And, and, and Luke notes that the Pharisee that was standing over there by himself was praying in this way, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Now, before you laugh too much, let's have a little moment of honesty. Have you ever thought that? Be honest. Have you ever thought, oh God, I thank you that I am not like, name your person. I would almost be willing to bet that everyone in this room has had that moment. God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, not like thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And then he pats himself on the back. I fast twice a week. You know, they were supposed to do it once a week, but I fast twice a week. I, I, I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus points this out to him. He says, listen, you see this? He said, whose prayers do you think God is going to hear? 
I mean, the Pharisee is over there comparing himself and building himself up and feeling good about himself. But the truth of the matter is, whether you're the Pharisee or the tax collector, when you stand in the presence of God, the only appropriate prayer is to be merciful to me, a sinner. You may be better than who you used to be. You are never better than someone else. So, so that love that binds us together in family is important. And, and, and as if that wasn't enough, he, he brought in another story to remind them about it. He, he reached over and, and, and told them a story that we know is the Good Samaritan, right? A Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. When he saw him, he was moved with pity. The, the story about a man, he's traveling from Jericho up to Jerusalem, and the, and the road literally goes up, climbs, all the way to Jerusalem. And, and, and as he's going, he's mugged and robbed and beaten and left on the side of the road to die. And, and the good people of Jerusalem cross over the road and walk around them so they don't have to deal with him. And the Samaritan, who was deemed unworthy because he worshiped God in the wrong place and in the wrong way, is the one who stopped and had pity and bound up his wounds. And he took him to an inn and left him and said, take care of him, put it on my bill. When I'm coming back, I'll pay you whatever I owe you. Do whatever needs to be done. And Jesus said, so, so which one of these actually showed this man the kind of love that a neighbor is supposed to show? And they said, well, the, the Samaritan did. And he says, well, good, you go and you do the same. Is that really how we live? When we come into this time of year and we're waiting for the coming of Christ and, and, and God's outpouring of love, this amazing act in which God gives himself to us, do we live with that same kind of love for others? Or do we cross the road to avoid them? Tertullian would write about the early church as they were trying to live this out, and he would describe it this way. It's mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another, for they themselves are animated by mutual hatred. See, they say about us, how they are ready even to die for one another. I mean, it if this is the kind of love that Christ has modeled for us, and this is the kind of love that we are supposed to be incarnating in the midst of this world, is that really what the world sees when they look at us? As a church, as a family, as individuals. So as we're beginning this, I'm just gonna throw these questions at you. They're in your bulletin as well as we begin this season and invite you to consider what do you think Jesus' perspective would be on the way we celebrate Christmas? What would Advent and Christmas look like if it was focused on Jesus and the kind of community Jesus is calling us to be instead of being focused just on you and me? And how does your personal relationship with Jesus influence how you navigate the tension between the expectations of our culture and society and the invitation our faith extends when it comes to celebrating Advent and Christmas? And during this crazy, busy time of the year, what are some ways that you can remember to love others as Jesus has loved you? I'm going to close with a little hint as we lean into next year, because Paul goes on to remind the Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. What would it look like if that's how we prepared for the coming of Christ? Let's pray. Mighty Father, we give you thanks for this great gift of love. We ask as we prepare our hearts to celebrate again the birth of Christ that we might not just be going through those motions by rote or taking it for granted, that you would, would open us up to understand the enormity of what you were doing, this unprecedented event in which you gathered yourself up and came to us in human form, in which you became enfleshed in the birth of Christ. Open us up to see the amazing act of love that lies behind that. For it is indeed the beginning of the salvation story. And even though the disciples couldn't understand it, and even though they couldn't explain it, and even though sometimes they couldn't accept it, you still offered yourself on the cross for us. So open our hearts to the depth of this love and let us look on our lives and the lives of those around us with the eyes of this love. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.